Hello, I'm Stuart Chitton, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is the director and writer, Amy Adrian, whose award-winning debut feature, Half the Picture, has recently been released. Amy Adrian is a director and writer whose work has screened at the Sundance, South by Southwest, Tribeca, and Los Angeles Film Festivals, been broadcast on PBS and MTV, and won numerous awards. Half the Picture, Amy's debut feature, celebrates the groundbreaking work of women film directors and had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in 2018. Half the Picture won the What Next Award at Sundance London, the Audience Award for Best Documentary at the Lighthouse Film Festival, and the Impact Award at the Through Women's Eyes Film Festival. Amy won a Directors Guild of America Student Film Award for her narrative short, Shoegazer, which was executive produced by Miranda July. Amy is currently writing a comedic coming-of-age script about a high school girls basketball team based on her experience playing ball in suburban New Jersey, and is attached to direct Picante, a wild feminist western about a motley crew of rebellious prostitutes in the Old West. Amy is a graduate of the MFA Film Directing Program at UCLA with an undergraduate degree in Literature and Theology from Georgetown University. Amy grew up in Hillside, New Jersey, and now lives in Los Angeles with her husband and two sons. Amy, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Your film, Half the Picture, is playing at film streams in Omaha on Saturday, October 19th. And I look forward to seeing it then. Can you tell us more about it, please? Sure. Yeah, Half the Picture is a feature documentary about women film directors. So we interview a ton of women at kind of the height of their careers now. Uh, women like Ava DuVernay and Jill Soloway, Karin Kusama, Catherine Hardwick, uh, Mary Heron, Gina Prince-Bythewood. Um, women who talk about their lives and careers in the business. So the particular challenges that they faced as women directors, you know, their artistic inspiration, how they manage balancing a really demanding career with having a family. And I'm really grateful to the women because I think our film came at just the right time where women were actually open to being quite candid about about all of those things. And I think for such a long time, especially as directors, you had to present this kind of Teflon image of, I can handle anything, I'm so capable, nothing, you know, I'm totally unflappable. Even if I ever had challenges, I just rode over them because I'm just like one of the guys. And there are particular challenges that women face. And the women we interview were very honest about the self-doubt that they encountered, about the frustrations of not getting work and you know, seeing their male counterparts thrive when they've really, really struggled, even even the most talented, the most successful of them. Yeah, so that's that's what the film is about. And it was important for me to make because I just admire these women like crazy. And, and I wanted to find out how they made it and kind of answer the question for myself, is it possible? Like I went to film school my dream was to be a film director. If, you know, I was kind of hoping, hey, if these women made it, maybe they can shed some of their grace on me and, and uh, show me how they did it. You, you made a specific choice that your first debut feature would be almost a meta 
film about the industry in some ways. And I'm wondering how how you decided to make that choice and, and perhaps not cover. I'm sure there are many other topics that you want to cover. Why, why this particular choice was your first film? Right. Well, I don't think that I'm particularly good about being strategic in my career. And I went to film school and I mostly made narrative short films and I have narrative feature films that I've worked on and tried to get financing for. And it just so happens that after film school, I got married. I had two kids that took up a lot of my time. And this was just a topic that fascinated me that I was obsessed with that was weighing on me. And I really wanted to explore it. And like I said, I just, you know, there are so many women directors who I admire. And I just wanted to talk to these women and figure out how they did it. And it it was a time when finally, after so many years of women talking about these issues among ourselves, actually, uh, this issue was getting attention by some powerful forces in the business. So the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, got involved the U.S. Department of Justice and the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, got involved just looking at what is really widespread systemic discrimination. And that was a sea change because for so long, women talked about these issues and discrimination they faced. And it just seemed like, well, it was your, you know, women kind of saw it as like, well, I, I should have presented myself more strongly or less strongly, or I should have, I don't have this on my resume or that. And that's why I didn't get the job. And you know, when you look at the numbers, you know, that women have been directing 4% of films, feature films, and men have been directing 96% of films, you know, it becomes very clear that it's not, oh, I should have said this or that in the interview. It's, it is a systemic problem. And so when those kind of larger forces got involved in this issue, it seemed like, wow, uh, maybe something is actually going to happen here. Uh, After so many years of you know, women just kind of being frustrated, but accepting it as the status quo. And so I really wanted to document what seemed like a very exciting and very special time. And I think it's proven to be a special time. Uh, The numbers are changing a little bit slowly. Um, But this is something that hasn't gone away in the years, you know, since I started making the film in 2015. If anything, it's just become bigger. There's been more awareness, more momentum, more activism. So, you know, I do think in a corny way, projects kind of call to you, you know, it wasn't strategic. It, you know, if anything, this was probably a not very, it was, it was um, not that it was bad for my career, but you're calling out a lot of powerful forces in the business, you know, who I eventually want to hire me, you know, in this business. So it's in some ways it was like not the smartest move, but you just, you, you make films because they call to you in the subject you know, the material and the story you want to tell is just, it kind of takes over your life. And so it wasn't even really a choice. It was just like, I'm, this is something I'm thinking and talking about all the time. And like, I have to make this film. You mentioned something earlier about the particular challenges faced by women in film generally, and particularly female directors. Would you maybe touch on a few of the particular challenges that were unearthed as you were doing this, uh, this film? Sure. And many of the challenges that I'll talk about, I think women will be familiar to women in so many different fields. Um, As we've screened the film, I've had women who are lawyers or who work in tech or who work in academia come up to me and say, oh, my gosh, we deal with the same kinds of things in our field. So it's not just film, but, you know, it's everything from having women's stories 
belittled or seen as niche or small. So if a story centers a woman, a female character, if it's about women, a film made by women, I think the industry kind of naturally thinks that it's less universal, that it's less entertaining than films by and and about men. You know, there's certain kinds of just jealousies that you experience on set. And, and I think when you have that gender element, that makes things even trickier. So you have directors who are established women who we interview in our film who are directing television shows, television pilots now, and they still tell me, oh my gosh, I was just directing a pilot and the director of photography kept rolling his eyes at me or the prop person kept being uh, overly solicitous or just, you know, these kind of passive aggressive or aggressive um, attitudes that women face on set because I think, you know, the director is such a position of power on set. And I think a lot of men are just unfamiliar dealing with women in that kind of role. And and it, and it, um, you know, elicits some kind of strange behavior, you know, and so that you get some situations of sabotage on set, which is insane. I mean, whether you're making a feature film or a television show, it's hard. It's hard to make your days. It's hard to get performances from actors. It's hard to, you know, get the, the camera shots you want and have everything line up and have your vision be fulfilled. It's hard for men, for women, for in between, for everybody. So when you have some people on set who are not supporting the director in addition to all of the challenges you already have, it's just so frustrating. And I would say every woman that we interviewed from the most famous to the, you know, just starting out indie film directors, they've had situations like that where people on set or producers or financiers just, you know, don't take them seriously or give them the respect that, that they're due. Um, And there are so many reasons for that. I mean, I think we live in a culture that has an established idea of male genius, whether it's in the art world or film. Certainly there are young directors, um, male directors who come up very young ages. And we're very used to that idea of the wonderkind of this just genius, whether it's Orson Welles or Paul Thomas Anderson or Damien Chazelle. You know, it's just a familiar idea. And for women, there's not really a counterpart. And we kind of for all of us, for women included, it takes a little bit more work to accept that person as a genius. I mean, it just it it just takes more work. Um, so certainly women have faced those kinds of issues. And then, I mean, it goes all the way to, you know, toward sexual harassment and sexual assault on set. And, and women in the film talk about that a little bit as well. This certainly isn't a film that is about that exclusively. And there are many other documentaries that are exploring Harvey Weinstein and just sexual harassment in the workplace. But we certainly have women in our film who talk about that. And when you look at some of the really major gatekeepers in media and in entertainment, you know, whether it's Les Moonves at CBS, who ran, you know, the most powerful network, and you hear all these stories of how he treated women. CBS, for the longest time, had the worst record of female creators of their shows, of female stars on their shows. And you go, oh, maybe there's a relation there. You know, this guy who's running it is just seeing women a certain way, and he's not really going to support women uh, as creators. Harvey Weinstein, 
Um, you know, there's just a long list of people who are really at the top of the business who don't know how to see women as equals. And a lot of those people are gatekeepers. And so when women are looking for opportunities and they have to go to people like that to get opportunities, you see some of the additional challenges that they face. say the film you started in 2015 Weinstein sexual assaults I think were getting reported around in in the public realm around October of 2017 and so I'm wondering if your approach to the film either shooting it editing or producing it if any of your attitudes to how the film should be shaped changed during this period yeah. Um, well, it it was very interesting because, yes, we were very deep into post-production, into the edit of our film when that all started coming out. And I would say this, from the beginning, we knew that our film was going to include some elements of those kinds of stories, because that's part of women's stories as women directors in the business. But I was also very careful about wanting to center women and their artistry and their perseverance. And I feel like once you get too far into a story about, oh, he told me to come to his hotel room and then this happened and that happened. I mean, the whole film becomes about these guys and their bad behavior. And that is those films should be seen and those stories should be told. And the women who are telling those stories, I'm very grateful to them for their courage. But this is a film that celebrates women filmmakers and so that is was always going to be part of the story but it you know that kind of those kinds of stories just take up so much oxygen in the room that we wanted to be very careful that a film about women directors doesn't wind up being the Harvey Weinstein film or even the John Lasseter film or the you know whatever but I would say our film was quite impacted just in that in the very beginning of our film, we have a montage of women's successes. So it's, you know, uh, women at film premieres or doing interviews and people talking about their their big films that are or TV shows that 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 are, um, you know, that have just come out. And it was crazy. In the beginning of our film, we had a clip of 
John Lasseter from Pixar talking about how wonderful Brenda Chapman is, the director of Brave, how, you know, oh, they have this woman director. He's so excited to see what she's going to do with that film. We had an interview of Charlie Rose with Karin Kusama, who's the great director of Girl Fight and The Invitation. And he's just talking about what a uh, success she had coming off of Girl Fight at Sundance. We had Matt Lauer, a clip of Matt Lauer talking about the statistics of women directors in the business on the Today Show. Someone talked about Harvey Weinstein, and it wasn't in relation to all of the terrible things. Oh, and we had Jeffrey Tambor talking about what a genius Jill Soloway is on Transparent. I swear to God, this was all in the first two minutes of our film. All of those guys, you know, their bad behavior was came out in literally weeks of, you know, around October 2017. And so basically we wound up recutting the whole beginning of our film just because you saw those guys after those um, news stories were released and your mind just went to a different place. Your mind went to, oh, I, you know, the bad behavior of this one and that one. And it was like, again, these women's accomplishments were getting you know, belittled next to the terrible behavior of these guys. So we had to, you know, while the the film at large didn't change significantly, that that early section, I mean, we cut out all those people because of the associations that the audience would have. But I think it's, you know, it's important to recognize that that's, I mean, it's kind of a coincidence, but it, it kind of isn't in just that those are so many powerful gatekeepers and so many of them have very problematic histories with women. And so, it's really not hard to see what a difficult road women have when these are the kinds of guys that are, you know, at the top of the business. And you have to work with them and, and get through them to have your, your work supported and brought to audiences. How do you feel about the phrase woman director? Obviously, you never hear the phrase male director unless it's specifically in the context of gender and so on the one hand, we want to celebrate that maybe we're making some inroads if if we are. And yet to attach a label like woman director uh, to someone is in many ways, I think, again, to um, box them into something, which I think denies them freedom of artistry and the vision that they bring to whatever it is that they're creating. So how do you feel about the label woman director? And what what does that mean for you? Well, I would say that I think the argument about it is a little um, kind of takes up too much space. And I feel like I'm absolutely fine with being called a woman director. I think for a long time you had women, mostly women who were the most successful women in the business at the top of their careers, who had the luxury of saying, I don't consider myself a woman director, or in fact, I don't want you to call me a woman director because I am just a director and I don't want to be limited. And it does, um, yeah, it, it's, it puts me in a box and I'm an artist just as any other director is. And I think you have a little bit of infighting among, you know, the women director community. Like, do you want to be called that? Do you not want to be the call that? I think ultimately it doesn't really matter. We are what we are. Certainly we're seen as women in the industry like women do not get the opportunities that men get. And you can say, I don't consider myself a woman director and you have every right to say that, but believe you me, you are seen that way in the business and, um, you know, maybe not by everybody, but that affects the opportunities that you get. So, um, you know, I embrace it. I'm happy to say that I'm a woman director. Of course, 
you know, in some utopia, we're all just humans and directors and artists, and you don't need those qualifiers. Um, but we are very, very far from that utopia. So I'm, I'm happy to, to be called that. Take that, Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> just kidding. We love you, Catherine Bigelow. Everybody loves you. You're amazing. And she is. I did want to reference the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative, which is a think tank based out of the University of Southern California, and it studies diversity and inclusion in entertainment. One of its researchers, Stacey Smith, I, I read an article of hers in the LA Times earlier this year, and she uses the quote, um, an epidemic of invisibility regarding uh, women, minorities, and, and diversity generally within Hollywood. Before we move on, I wonder if you might reference what are some of the data around female directors and, and women generally in the film industry? Right. Um, well, the statistics, I'm happy to say that the statistics that we have in our film have changed slightly in even just the year that our film has been out. But, um, you know, some of the big the big ones are that for many years, women wound up directing about 4% of feature films. So men directed 96%. This, this current year, I think women are going to direct 12 to 14% of the feature films. That's a change over last year, which is enormous. And we'll see the researchers who are so good at what they do are very wise to point out that, um, you know, it's not a, it doesn't in, indicate a shift until you have three years of consistent change in numbers. So you might have one year that has a few more. And because, you know, women direct so few, it, you know, year to year, the numbers can fluctuate. But this year is looking better for feature films. And hopefully next year will as well. When we started uh, making half the picture, women directed about 14% of television shows. That's where we've seen the biggest jump. Even in the last few years, I think it's up to about 25 or 26 percent. Uh, in television, it's just easier to make that kind of change because you have eight episodes or 13 episodes or 26 episodes, and there's more of a system. So you can bring women in, have them shadow. Uh, you're more of a cog in a, in a machine, whereas feature films, it is more the director's vision, you know, especially when there's more money at stake. It's still incredibly hard for women to get those opportunities. You know, as we know, in the history of the Academy Awards, women have been nominated for Best Director five times out of, you know, the 400 men who have been nominated. And in our film, for feature films, the statistic that uh, we have is that women of color in our country are about 19%. So 19% of America are women of color and women of color direct 0.006% of feature films. So women in, you know, as a whole uh, are not directing our cultural images, our cultural content and women of color are almost completely shut out and they're almost a fifth of the population. And so you know, when you look at numbers like that, it's not it's not just like, oops, how did that happen? I mean, that's intentional and that's systemic. And that's saying that a huge portion of our population, their stories, their voices, their perspective, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to see it. And we're going to um, not support it in a way that we can all kind of hear and celebrate their stories. And that's very dangerous. Certainly people with disabilities, LGBTQ, trans people, 
you know, there are so many marginalized groups whose stories have not been centered and that we haven't heard. And the thing that, you know, I think it's important to remember is people can kind of feel like, oh, Hollywood, you know, we've heard every story a million times and there's only so many stories and it's just a little twist on a, on an old story. And that's what you're going to get. And that is just so small minded and not true. I mean, any of us, you look around at the world we live in, there are so many stories that are left untold that are like interesting and dramatic and funny and surprising and fresh and you know, I think it's just a shame for our culture and it's certainly a shame for the business that they haven't supported those stories more. And I think we're seeing some of that in film and certainly in TV. And you just, you know, different kind of creators are telling different kinds of stories and it feels like a revelation. Like, oh, I didn't know this world. I don't know these people, but I'm fascinated. And as, you know, Roger Ebert says, films are an empathy machine. Like, when you when you can connect to someone else's story, you see them in a different way as fully human, three dimensional people instead of, you know, people that are easy to, you know, make into caricatures because you just don't feel connected to them. Passing seasons all but fade away into misty clouds. Of autumn gray, as I sit here looking at the street, little figures quickly moving feet. I'm just a pebble on the beach, and I sit and wonder why little people are running around, never knowing Let's turn that lens then a little towards you. Let me ask about your story. You know, I grew up in a family that there were a lot of sports. There's a lot of love of movies. Um, you know, my parents are big TCM watchers. So whenever you go to their house, there's like a Yankees game and like, you know, an old black and white movie on, on the different TV screens. Um, and obviously that had a huge effect on me. I have so many just wonderful memories of watching sports and kind of the the fun and the camaraderie that that brings. Just watching weird, interesting old films with my parents and, you know, connecting and having that kind of shared history, you know, like whether it's the Thin Man movies or, you know, The Great Escape or, you know, whatever, just having that kind of uh, or The Godfather, you know, these these kinds of cultural touch points that we're all f familiar with is there's just some kind of feeling like you have your tribe and feeling like there's just community there. And so I just have very wonderful experiences of my own and with my family, just, you know, playing sports and watching movies and, and all of that. 
And so, yeah, I went to Georgetown undergrad and studied English and theology, uh, honestly, mostly because uh, the professors were incredible and it's about storytelling and it's about thinking about the world and life around you and what do you believe and finding empathy and, you know, all of those things are things that, again, very unstrategically, I was just drawn to. So I wound up taking those classes and that's what I wound up studying. You, you mentioned from there you went into um, MFA film directing, but what was it that motivated you to make that transition? And then building on top of that question, how did your background, but also your study of literature and theology inform you as a film director now? I would say from even from high school, I was always attracted to the idea of making movies, even though I didn't really know what that meant. But I just loved watching weird, you know, art house Peter Greenaway, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover, or, you know, Alison Anders films, um, just great, weird, independent cinema. Um, you know, Kevin Smith, Clerks, and Spike Lee, and, uh, you know, just all that kind of stuff. I have to say, for whatever reason, I mean, partly because I was in New Jersey and nobody did that kind of work. I'm sure part of it is maybe that I was a girl, um, but it seemed absolutely insane to pursue a career in that. And also, you know, I was a smart kid. I was in honors classes. So kids, you know, were lawyers or worked in finance or, you know, certainly a lot of my friends from Georgetown, those are the kind of things that they did. And working in film just seemed pretty insane. And like, how do you even get there? And how do you do it? And I mean, I'm still figuring it out. For me, just so much of it is storytelling. It's about the stories that bind us, that connect us, that we're drawn to, that make us feel something, that make us feel part of a world in connection with one another. I mean, so much of that is is relevant to filmmaking. You know, I'm certainly of the of the mindset that, you know, whatever art it is, if it makes you feel something, it's uh that's the, the greatest gift that you can give an, an, an audience is just to stir one's emotions and, and have them have them actually, you know, feeling and thinking also. How do you want audiences for your films to think in a different way? Is there a, a guiding philosophy of life or how to see the world or think differently that you have? Or do you take each story individually and, and try to share something uniquely through that particular film? Well, I think there are so many different approaches you can take with a film about women directors and women storytellers in Hollywood. For us, I think it was very important to recognize the landscape that we're working in, and it still remains very unequal and very um, unjust, and there's a lot of discrimination. And, you know, the fact of the matter is there are not that many women who finance films or produce films or studio heads or, you know, distributors, it's, it's still a very male dominated environment. And I think that's important for women to understand. So you don't go into it feeling like, oh, if my work isn't supported, there's something wrong with me. But that said, I would say the main kind of thrust of the film is look at these women, they are vibrant, they're passionate, they are like brimming with creativity and life and inspiration and ideas. And their roads have been difficult. And your road is probably going to be difficult too for anyone in film, certainly for women, certainly for women of color. But like, look at them shine, look at what they've made, and they're still fighting, they're still hustling. And so 
I mean, I think the film really does leave you with a sense of, you know, I, I can do this. I, these women have done it. I can do it. And that is absolutely, and I would say whether you're a man or a woman or non-binary or whatever you are, you know, that is the greatest satisfaction that I have. And this happens, I swear, at almost every single screening that I've been at, someone either says in the Q&A or comes up to me after and says, oh my gosh, I've had this story in my head for years and I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to start outlining that story and I'm going to, you know, or I'm going to make this short film or my friends and I are going to make a music video or I have a, you know, short story I'm going to write. And that's it. I mean, that is the greatest thing, just to kind of unlock that feeling of I don't need permission and I do have a story to tell and I am going to embark on that journey to tell my own story. That is the is, you know, is the goal. And that's the greatest gift to hear when, you know, after people have seen the film. Was there something from the experience of making the film or subsequently to the film that has really surprised you? Or is there something that you particularly have learned and and taken away from the entirety of this experience? Well, I would say in making the film, the thing that surprised me the most is just that the women who I consider geniuses in the film, I just admire them and their creative work so much. I mean, they had the exact same frustrations that I had in making the film. So, you know, these filmmakers, they applied to the Sundance Screenwriters Lab and they got rejected or they applied to the Director's Lab and got rejected or applied to Sundance or Cannes or Toronto or, you know, whatever these big established festivals are and they got rejected or they tried to, you know, get financing for their dream projects. And even though they've made huge films, they are still struggling to get financing or to get an A-list actor to sign on. Um, I mean, I kind of thought that these women at this point would have easier roads. And it was both discouraging and encouraging to me to hear that the struggle continues. Um, You know, it's shameful that women who've proven themselves and whose film, you know, debut films have been nominated for Academy Awards. And, you know, whether it's Catherine Hardwick with Twilight or Sam Taylor Johnson with Fifty Shades of Grey spawned these huge franchises. I mean, those women are hustling for their next jobs. That would just never happen for a male director. I find that frustrating, but I also have so much respect for these women. They are not, you know, going into their bunker and crying and saying like, this is bullshit. You know, this wouldn't happen to men. They're not doing that. They don't complain. They don't whine. They feel their frustration and they keep making movies and they keep hustling and they keep developing creative projects. And that's a lesson certainly for me and for all of us. Like the road is not easy. You just need to be mentally tough and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and so while it was hard to hear, I also was like, all right, if these women can do it, if they can keep hustling and they've, you know, they deserve opportunities way more than I do in their, their hustling. Like, all right, I can, I can keep hustling too. <laughs>
what loves do you have in film that, that you want to share to inspire us to perhaps be um, more cinematically literate? Oh, wow. Um, well, that's the beautiful thing about film and about art is, you know, there's just so many different kinds of stories that speak to different people. And, you know, as frustrating as it is that when other people don't share your vision, you know, there are some films that I love or hate that other people hate or love that you think, oh my God, how could you, how could you like that? But that's, you know, that's, there's, there's films, there's films and there's art for everybody. But, you know, certainly I'm, I'm a huge fan of, um, you know, like Fleabag was this television show that was just on, oh God, I mean, it was Amazon, I think you know, that I think is a really interesting example of a female creator, female writer, female-led story. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is absolutely gorgeous and engaging and magnetic, but she's the kind of actress who would never have been hired in like a traditional rom-com film unless she created this role for herself, which she did. She wrote beautifully, and I think it takes these kinds of cliches of kind of sex in the city-ish, you know, women out, you know, having sex with different guys and, and really makes it deep and makes it personal. And, you know, it's just incredible. And I think it's a really good example of why you want women creators to tell stories in a fresh and different way. I mean, that's just one recent example, but there's so many stories out there, whether it's Ava DuVernay's When They See Us, the, the um, you know, about the Central Park Five, um, Thank God so many of these shows uh, or the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, so many of these shows that that got a lot of love at the Emmys recently, they are very diverse storytellers and storytelling and they're done so well. So that's what's really exciting. I mean, this stuff is being made. It's being supported. It could be supported a lot more. But the, the work is being made and, and women are hustling and getting getting it out there. So I think that there's there's a lot. I mean, speaking of hustling, I just saw Hustlers, the film by Lorene Scafaria about uh, the strippers taking advantage of kind of Wall Street guys. And, you know, it, like what a great story. It's just this juicy kind of underdog, totally entertaining, very Scorsese influenced, great music, shot beautifully, great characters, kind of caperish story uh, but there's so many of so many films like that out there and I think you know I would say you know people should really kind of you should be aware of who's making the films and the tv shows that you see but people are attracted to what they're attracted to and seeing films by women directors shouldn't be like eating your vegetables I mean you're drawn to what you're drawn to and you're drawn to good storytelling so you know I would say also when you do see work by women or uh, people of color that you know probably don't get the same kind of marketing push that other films or TV shows do. We have a lot of power now with social media. So shout it out. Tell people like, oh, my God, I saw this film, this little tiny TV show, this little you know, British series, whatever. And that can really build into something. And that's, I think, why a lot of these shows, you look at something like Insecure that started as a as a web series for Issa Rae and she turned it into this, you know, gorgeous HBO show, um, the audiences are there. So, you know, we can all shout out what we just love. You don't have to pretend to like something or be connected to something because it's made by a woman, but just honestly tell the world what you're, what you're loving. And that helps all those creators. 
what's next? You took what I would imagine is um, what I believe to be a, a, a courageous step in making a film about female excellence in the film industry, but at the same time, speaking a little bit of truth to power about the um, you know, this epidemic of visibility. And so this was your sort of groundbreaking debut documentary feature, but I know that you're doing some things coming up. So maybe would you just share a little bit about what you're hoping for? And if you think this way, I don't know if you think in terms of careers, but but what are you hoping for like in the long, long term for yourself? Sure. Well, I would say it is interesting, and I'm glad you bring up that point, and not that I'm particularly courageous, but I do think that's a really important point to make that so much of this conversation would not be happening were it not for so many women who stood up and say this isn't you know who said this isn't right this isn't fair many of them at great uh personal cost in our film we profile some activists including uh this woman maria geis who really stood up to the directors guild there are just a lot of women you know it it i feel like we can kind of gloss over and have it you know, we all assume that diversity in storytelling is a good thing. And so you don't see the cost that women and people of color pay to fight for and agitate for fairness. And many of those people do pay a significant cost. And even in our little film, I mean, the women in our film tell stories about just things that they've encountered in the business, whether it's getting you know, reviews that they felt were unfair due to gender bias or not getting accepted to festivals because the programmers were men who maybe didn't connect to a very female story. You know, the women tell tell their stories very respectfully, but a lot of these guys are still very powerful in the business. I've heard personally that they were embarrassed by our film. They, you know, are in a position of, you know, either reviewing or helping promote our film or not. And so those, those, you know, those are considerations that are important to keep in mind because these, you know, it's not just making the film. It's like you need audiences to be aware of it. And there's still a big power structure that you need to, you know, find support with to get your film out there. And we have certainly experienced some very powerful people who, you know, even though everything is stated very, you know, no one is, it's not a film like where people are trying to slander anybody, but they're telling their stories. And that's, that's come at a cost for sure. So yeah, and for me, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I want to work telling stories. And as a director, I'd love to get work in television. But as many of the women in our film experienced, and women like Karen Kusama and Tina Mabry, um, and Jennifer Pong, women who, had huge first feature films that won awards, nominated for Academy Awards, played at huge festivals, critically acclaimed. You know, I'm in the same position that they were in, that it's like I'm trying to get that one television episode. Someone has to say yes. And even for women with really strong, powerful credits, this is a business that um, just finds it easier to take a chance on an unknown guy at a USC who has one good short film than a woman, you know, who's who's directed a really incredible feature film just because of the biases we're all working with. So I'd love to work in TV. I have, uh, as my bio said, I have this great feminist Western that I did not write that these two writers wrote that I, I'm trying to raise money for now, which is really exciting. And I'm working on a new documentary project. 
you know, I would say I'm trying to keep in mind the advice that so many women in the film gave, which is, you know, you can't, you're going to be frustrated if you're knocking at doors, waiting for someone to open the door for you. You really have to create your own material, make your own films, work begets work. And so even if you're making something with the resources you have, which are minimal, you have to keep working. And so it's frustrating though, because you see other people getting those jobs and opportunities in the business. And half the time you're thinking like, oh, like I could do that job so much better. And then you build this resentment and all of that. And that's just part of the business. But you have to like consciously not let yourself sit in that for too long or it eats up all your creative energy. So yeah, I ha you know, I'm, I'm trying to raise money for a narrative film. I'm started a new documentary film about um, this uh, mother and daughter cowgirls, cow women in Colorado beautiful country, amazing, uh, visuals and just kind of personal stories there, but it's a hustle. You know, you gotta, you kind of can't rely on anyone else to present those opportunities. And even after this film did well and premiered at Sundance and won awards, you know, I just have to be reminded of what the women in our film say, which is, it's up to you to create your own opportunities. So I'm, I'm doing that right now. I just want to say thank you so much for making this time to chat by Skype. I've been in conversation with the director and writer, Amy Adrian, whose award-winning debut feature, Half the Picture, has recently been released. And so everybody should go see that immediately. And also bookmark you, I guess, on IMDb so that we can keep track of everything else that you're doing. Uh, so Amy, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice talking to you. That's the end of this week's show. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life.